0: seven hours the glory of each tree waxed to the full and waned again to naught, and each awoke once more to life an hour before the other ceased to shine. Thus in Valinor twice every day there came a gentle hour of softer light, when both trees were faint and their gold and silver beams were mingled.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime, where we look at Tolkien's works through the lens of adaptation. And we have been focusing on the upcoming Amazon show, and we're going to do a whole lot more of that today. Actually, today is devoted to news. We always try to give you a little bit of news at the top, but there have been some major bombs dropped in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we just figured there's no way we could cut this short. We got to devote some serious time everything that uh, that happened we got a spy report from the one ring.net a couple of them uh, with some pretty big changes to our expectations and then on august 2nd we got a official release date and maybe not a set image but a, an official image from amazon and the internet exploded my head exploded
0: <laughs> it's been exciting so exciting at long last we have our first Glance and we have a release date, official release date. This is very big, folks, and we are so excited.
1: It just shows you how much anticipation has been building up when literally one image, one still image, just caused people to lose their minds. I mean, just people, you know, going really, really deep. I mean, I saw legitimate like CIA level uh, analysis. (laughs) Of the image, yes. like changing the yes. contrast, zooming in, you know, trying to, it was amazing what people were doing to try and figure out, uh, you know, get some hidden details. Mm.
0: Wild speculation. And is this, you know, a shot of just one place or is this sort of a mishmash of other places? There's all kinds of different theories out there. We're going to talk about some of those theories. Um, but I think we should just jump into the image now that we're here.
1: Let's I th- I think uh, we should start with the the one ring.net stuff because that that came first and I think that will okay, actually yes, inform Well and that will inform how we interpret the you're right, you're right. the image. Um so the one .net on July 20th uh, released a spy report 20 new details emerged from Amazon's Lord of the Rings characters sexless nudity and halflings. So um uh, those are some pretty uh that's some clickbaity type of Headline writing right there, but it definitely made me click on the link, and uh, it did not disappoint. So let's just kind of go right down the line. Uh, The first thing that they confirm is that the the Tolkien Estate apparently is happy with how things are progressing. I'm not sure if they have a source within the Tolkien Estate that told them that, or if it's just people at Amazon. Whoever their spy is on the inside of Amazon, reporting that the Tolkien Estate is happy, but that, that makes is reassuring. Me happy. Yeah,
0: very reassuring to hear that they are happy. That means that they're not taking great liberties with the content. We are excited that they're sticking close to whatever is canon.
1: Although a part of me, I always want to play the devil's advocate here. So <laughs> we, we we say that the Tolkien Estate that we that they are diligent and faithful stewards of protecting Tolkien's legacy. And thus, if they are happy, then we will be happy as as faithful fans. But I wonder how much of the Tolkien Estate's approach to preserving all adaptations and material that is based off of uh, JRR's writings, how much of that was due to Christopher Tolkien's leadership and his approach. And now that he has passed on, if that has changed. If the people who are at the helm of the Tolkien estate now maybe have a slightly different perspective, uh, maybe a less restrained approach. Uh, I mean, I have no reason to think one way or the other, but I'm just wondering because um, obviously Christopher signed off on the Amazon deal, I believe. But nonetheless, he he he's no longer the one who's overseeing what's going on at Amazon. So it's someone else over there. And are they going to be as faithful stewards as Christopher was? I don't know.
0: I'm so curious. That's an interesting point. And I'm so curious, who is it who is overseeing this project? Who from the Tolkien Estate is involved? That's what I want to know. And are they on set? Are they there? How much are they part of the process? You know, are they seeing footage that's been shot? Are they part of the script writing? We don't know any of this. So... Yeah, I guess that remains to be seen if they are going to be sticklers about sticking word for word to or as closely as you can to what happens or if they're if they are being a little bit more hands off and letting them kind of do their own thing. We're not really sure. If I
1: was from the Tolkien estate. I would be on set every single day.
0: Oh, every day.
1: Not not necessarily Absolutely. because I'm, you know, wanting to oversee things, but because I just want to like, r- you know, rub elbows oh. with the actors and and hang out on these in these cool locations and see what's going on because how fun would it be just to be on set, just to be on the fl- a fly on the wall of this production?
0: Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I I would assume whoever is there must be familiar with the content, you know, that they're adapting and speaking of content. This article also confirmed that passages from the Silmarillion and unfinished tales are licensed mm-hmm. by Amazon Studios for this adaptation.
1: Now people had broadly speculated that the scope of their licensing agreement would encompass these other texts, but it had that had been really um, in the realm purely in the realm of speculation. And in fact, early interviews, early, early, early interviews with Tom Shippey, who uh, consulted. Uh, with Amazon early on in the production, an interview that he gave said the exact opposite, that Silmarillion is totally off limits um, and that Lord of the Rings is off limits, that this is just going to be the second age, that um, they could only reference first age events to the extent that they are referenced in any of the second age materials. And so from that interview, people kind of understood and we understood, okay, the Silmarillion is really off limits. They're not going to adapt any prime material. Uh, but now it looks like that's not exactly the case, and we still don't know exactly how broad uh, this licensing agreement is. Whether they whether they have the rights to adapt full stories from the Silmarillion, or if it's just they're really allowed to delve into Silmarillion material, maybe as like a prologue or a backstory to support the main Second Age narrative. Uh, we don't really know, but it is it is interesting to hear that it is confirmed that elements and passages from Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales are resisted. I
0: knew it. I mean, you and I speculated There's, they've got to be able to use stuff from the Unfinished Tales. Otherwise, there's just not enough content. There's right. not enough there. Right. There's they'd just be filling in. There's a story, but they'd be filling in so many gaps. If they have right. the rights to these two, it gives them so much more to work with. So I'm almost relieved that they that they have this and this content. In addition to the the experts that they have on set, they have three lore experts, Tolkien scholars, who are on set yeah. during production gives me just so much exc- even more i'm so much more amped up for this show now i, I think it's gonna be i want to know
1: who those scholars are because the only and who are those scholars yeah yes. the, the only scholar that we really heard about was tom shippey and that was you know part of the um you know internet going on fire thing when people believe that he had been fired or let go or he left because his contract ended everyone was speculating one way or the other and that's been one of the facts that People cite to when they say, "Oh, this is going to be a dumpster fire. Amazon's going to screw everything up because Tom shimmy Tom Shippy, is the only one that we trust, and he left the production, so it's going to be a disaster." But um, lo and behold, they have three Tolkien scholars on set. Yeah. See, the naysayers
0: time. are just not winning here. Everyone who's been who's been uh, real skeptical mm-hmm. is getting put in their place because it looks, it appears as though Amazon's really doing their due diligence and are not going to let us down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, on to some production details that I, are a little bit even more juicy. Apparently, men, elves, and dwarves have their own sequestered production units. Now, uh, TheWondering.net speculates that this means that the narrative itself might have different plot lines along across different time periods uh, that are totally independent or segregated from each other. So, you could have... Plot lines relating just to men, plot lines relating just to elves, plotlines relating just to dwarves that are kind of independent from each other and that the narrative will kind of jump between them, um, that they won't be totally integrated because if they have totally sequestered production units, what would be the reason for that if your narratives and storylines were actually merged? So that's an interesting approach. Jen, what do you think about that? If they were to take that approach um, and I try to interweave could, all those plotlines? I think plot it lines, could just
0: mean that we're... I think it could just mean that we're starting earlier, that they're starting earlier in the second age before these groups have kind of interacted and really meshed with each other. Um, and it's it may be set in a specific um, way that their paths haven't crossed yet or they're not fully integrated yet. Um, they were pretty separate and only started interacting at really specific times during right. the second age. So it right. could just be that it starts earlier than we previously thought.
1: Right, and uh, I think this could, at the very least, it means that we are going to be spending a lot of time in locations that are specific to those people. So I think we're going to be spending a lot of time just in Moria, right? And that's mm-hmm. that would be a Dwarvish location. It would make sense to have a separate production unit for that because only the Dwarves are going to be there. It's going to be a specific look and feel. You want to have a team devoted to that aesthetic. And then you want to have you know we're probably going to spend a lot of time maybe in Gilgalad's realm maybe um
0: just in Numenor maybe
1: or or yeah just in Numenor and certainly early on in the second age the numenorians were only in numenor they it would took a few hundred years before they were sailing into middle earth so if if they were really starting really early in the second age um then the numenorians would certainly be isolated and alone i mean isolated is not the right word but they they're not intermingling with the folk of middle earth so Um, I like your idea that maybe we are starting very, very early here, and I think we're going to get some support for that idea a little later in this leak.
0: Yes, and... Folks, if you are just joining us for the first time, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our earlier podcasts. We just covered the story of Aldarion and Arendis, the Mariner's Wife, which takes place in the Second Age. And we have been speculating that this will be adapted by Amazon. So if you're curious about our thoughts on that work and how it could be adapted for the screen, go ahead and check out our earlier episodes. I just wanted to mention that. Um, But moving on in the leaks.
1: So there is a related uh, piece of news here that In addition to having separate production teams for the different free peoples, there is a fake production team shooting decoy footage on fake sets unrelated to the real production. This
0: this is wild. I mean, can you I just can't imagine sinking money into a fake production team shooting? You know you have too
1: much money when you're like, hmm, how should we use our budget? Maybe we'll just shoot a whole fake movie on the side.
0: It's almost obnoxious. Can this be true? I mean, It just blows my mind. It's frustrating, actually. Like, is this stalling progress with the series because they're so obsessed with keeping this thing secret? I don't know. I think it's way over the top.
1: I think that I've heard of other productions doing this. I can't remember. It might have been Game of Thrones, I think, might have done this. Uh, But I've heard of other productions doing this, and it would make sense. I mean, they have an ungodly amount of money to spend, and um, it would indicate that they are really being clever about how they control the flow of information. So it could be very possible that maybe some of the leaks from Fellowship of the Fans or some of the other sightings, that those were intentionally planted and uh, that we have some –
0: We can't trust anything.
1: We can't trust anything. We can't trust (laughs) anyone. We have double agents, okay? We have double
0: agents. (laughs) But, you know, it, it does make me question all this info coming at us from the one ring.net. I mean, who are your sources? Right. Now right, we just right. need to know. I we're going to take it for now at face value, but I'm I'm open to some of this changing. Uh, yeah, but who's, another who's ex- running
1: the intelligence department over at the one ring.net. <laughs> I mean, if if you're not CIA or NSA, then I don't know that we can trust their methods. <laughs>
0: Deeply skeptical at this point. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: Another fun fact that is pretty darn exciting is that the main unit wrapped shooting in April 2021, and so a lot of actors are back in the UK are and have moved on to other productions. And you know that's that's a good sign. They're they're wrapping things up. They're sending people home. That's a little bit and- earlier than
1: we had heard before. I think that Fellowship of the Fans reported that principal photography wrapped in july right and maybe maybe this isn't inconsistent it's just that the main unit wrapped in april and the secondary units were still shooting through july is probably what it means yeah um,
0: i mean none of this really impacts the release date because there, again there's an official release, release date, date yeah. now and so we don't have to speculate about that anymore we know what it is uh so we're going to be working and it's too to far that.
1: away i mean i and was probably too far away i was probably going to say that no matter what the release date was but um it is too far away <laughs>
0: but stay tuned people we have so much content we're gonna get through on this podcast um in the lead up to that release date all the peter jackson films and much much more beyond yeah in some ways it's
1: almost a good thing that the release date is pushed back so much because now we have all the time in the world to do all the things that we wanted to do uh but weren't otherwise able to do within earlier release release date so i'm glad we have the time to to get into all the good stuff
0: same. And I mean, we are going to take our time when the series is released because a lot of the episodes are standalone. So we found out that J.A. Bayona's episodes that he directed are standalone entry points to the series. So,
1: Well, I think they're going to be, it sounds like they're going to be longer, perhaps feature film length. Um, but this is a weird concept. I don't know that I'm familiar with any show doing this. I've never heard of this before, where the first two films are considered to be standalone narratives that aren't necessary. That are ob- obviously they're going to be connected to the rest of the series, but uh, they're not cons- considered to be just the beginning of the the primary narrative. They're just a standalone narrative. I Well, I, I, don't I understand think they're that. going to be so exactly.
0: Well, I think it's going to be exactly the same thing that we see at the beginning of Fellowship with the with the narration and, and setting up the rest of the film. Yeah, but two uh, episodes so of that you can't be two episodes time. of
1: of prologue. With oh voiceover. yes, they
0: can. <laughs> Well, two episodes of prologue make sense because I think they want to give you the backstory of whatever. And there's, as we know, there's a lot of backstory to every other, uh, e- every character. So I, hope I think that's, that's what not they're what wanting they do. to do. I hope they don't do that. I don't know. I mean, we don't know, but that's, that's I just uh, Just
1: because I think that, you know, if they were to do that, they're going to say, okay, we're going to cover in summary fashion the entire first stage in, in two episodes, because you need I don't that think, backstory. No,
0: I don't think summary I, fashion. I don't. I don't think it's going to be. Well, if it's sober. in, if I it's in it's,
1: two episodes, it's going to be a summary, no matter how they, you know, what cinematic style they use. Maybe right? they'll
0: talk really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and now Galadriel sails open from Frodo and just go to, you know, like our one breath summary. They've
1: probably been listening to us, and they're like, "That's what they're doing. They stole our one breath summary." <laughs> pretty sure uh, yeah. if anybody could uh, recite the summarize the Silmarillion in one breath uh, I don't know what I would do for them but I would do something big for them
0: if you want to come on and try you know have at it um, I will also, fly
1: to your house if you can pull this off I will fly to your house and give you a big kiss on the lips that, that for sure be, actually that's probably an incentive <laughs> not woo-hoo, to do it. A big I'll think of something better Michael <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll
1: think of something better
0: I mean I dare you to top that incentive <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyways, moving right along. Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time. I like this fun fact. They're sharing crew and directors. So all you Wheel of Time fans out there, that's kind of exciting. I like it,
1: but I dislike it. I mean, if you have half a billion dollars to film your show, you know, what are you sharing directors and crew for? You know, you're trying to pinch some pennies, more efficient production. Let's get some independent, uh artists in here you know because these shows are going to be coming out around the same time well wheel of time will be coming out first but wheel of time is going to come out in november we got recently they released the release date for that so it's coming up in november then that series is going to run we're going to have a little bit of a break and then lord of the rings uh on amazon is going to be released next year in the fall so are we going to have two fantasy series with similar visual styles i mean i don't want that i want them to be separate
0: they have if they have yeah the same crew and the same directors chances are their aesthetic will be really similar. So is this good or bad? We don't know. I mean, I'm happy for all those guys that they have such incredible projects to work oh, on, but right. also you're right, it doesn't they didn't crack the door open for other people to come in and work on one or the other. So that that's a huge bummer. And you know,
1: we don't know who uh, their DP is, like who their director of photography is and you know, that person actually has a lot more uh influence over the visual look of, of a show probably than just say the directors, which, you know, directors float in and out of the series. Um, so they're not right. as influential, influential in terms of setting the tone of, of a certain style. So, you know, who's their DP, um, who's their art director, um, who's doing the music. I mean, these are the things that are actually going to change the look and feel. And maybe those folks are all different. And so they will have a different look, but it is just a little odd to me that the directors would overlap. Um, so I'm curious to mm-hmm. see if they'll have a different look, which I hope they do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they, I if you want to come on and talk about Wheel of Time, get in touch. Yeah, Because absolutely. We're, we're interested.
1: Because, I mean, Wheel of Time, if you've read it, anybody out there, uh, it's very different from Lord of the Rings. Beautiful, wonderful uh, books, but very different. And so they deserve a different treatment.
0: Yeah, definitely. Moving right along this I got a kick out of. Some of the halflings are darker skin precursors to Shire Hobbits. Quite possibly one of three somewhat different breeds, maybe Harfoots. Um, I thought this was the cool that we're going to see early Hobbits.
1: This, is, this was the big Gollum? shocker. This was the big shocker to me that they would have halflings because uh, obviously there is no reference to halflings, to Hobbits whatsoever in the appendices or anything or anywhere. That includes them in a story. Uh, No. There is textual support in the prologue to suggest that they were around, but uh, that more leaves open the door. So actually, why don't I read that? Why don't I find that passage? Because I think that's really uh, good to read.
0: Do it. I mean, something that I was curious about is would we see Gollum? Since we know he was a very early hobbit. I'm not sure if it would be quite early enough, but wouldn't that be interesting if we saw him in his youth or something like that? Well, they, they would have they to screw up somehow. the
1: they'd have to screw up timeline, the timeline big time to, would, to do yeah. that because he was yeah. you know he was 500 years at the time of the Lord of the Rings, but that's still like 6,000 years before yeah. when the the series is supposed to be set. So true. So this is from the prologue to the Fellowship of the Rings, and talking about the origins of the hobbits. It is plain indeed that in spite of later estrangement, hobbits are relatives of ours, far nearer to us than elves or even than dwarves. Of old, they spoke the languages of men after their own fashion and liked and disliked much the same things as men did. But what exactly our relationship is can no longer be discovered. The beginning of hobbits lies far back in the elder days that are now lost and forgotten. Only the elves still preserve any records of that vanished time, and their traditions are concerned almost entirely with their own history, in which men appear seldom and the hobbits are not mentioned at all. Yet it is clear that hobbits had, in fact, lived quietly in Middle-earth for many long years before other folk became even aware of them, and the world being, after all, full of strange creatures beyond count, these little people seemed of very little importance.
0: (gasps) What a gem of an excerpt. I don't think I've ever read that before, and if I have read it, I forgot it because I was quite sure that hobbits just weren't around. At all. Yeah. And, and so th-
1: there's your explanation for it. I mean, using the frame narrative that, that Tolkien provides, you know, the Silmarillion is the record created by the elves, um, transcribed by uh, the ideas, I think, transcribed by Bilbo and, and Rivendell. Um, but so it's because it's the elves' history, they don't really pay attention to little folk like the hobbits. And so they just don't show up. But uh, according to this prologue, they were probably still there. We just don't know anything about them.
0: Oh my gosh, and how exciting that we see or we're going to see early hobbits and they can really use their imaginations and what they were up to.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, and something interesting that that the one ring.net mentions here is that the that some halflings are dark skinned precursors to shire hobbits. So, um, that's not entirely accurate in that same prologue. It talks about the Harfoots, one of the 3 uh, breeds of hobbits that's actually the main breed so that's the hardfoots mm-hmm. are the breed that primarily occupies the shire that Bilbo was a part of or a descendant of and the Harfoots are said to be browner of skin so actually the hobbits you know in Peter Jackson's adaptation should have been darker skinned um, and so the idea that the hobbits wow. were all you know white European types uh, it's not consistent with what we get in the prologue um, but Nonetheless, the point is, I, it sounds like the one Ring.net, their spy report indicates that some of the hobbits, to the extent they'll exist, may be played by darker skinned actors, which would be both consistent with the text, um, but also fit into their stated goal of introducing and um, more diversity into the show.
0: Absolutely. And Sir Lenny Henry reportedly plays an early hobbit. Yeah. Are you familiar with Sir Lenny Henry?
1: I'm not. I'm not really. I Neither think he was... I. I think I. <laughs> when I had heard that he'd been cast, I read that he was like a comedian or something. Yeah. He's known for co-founding the charity Comic Relief. Comedian, oh. singer, television presenter, and writer. So I guess he has a comedic background, which would be perfect for Hobbits. They're a funny Perfect.
0: Folk. So perfect. Speaking of casting choices. Callum Brimbor, who we have talked extensively about, has mm-hmm. been recast. So Tom Budge was in that role. all my I, I wildly speculated about who I thought was Kellen Brimbor and I was wrong. it was Tom Budge, but who has been recast in that role? That is what I'd like to know. We don't know remains to be seen. And what a bummer for Tom Budge that he's... They're know, reshooting all I know, because did.
1: the Celebrimbor Huge role bummer. was almost certainly a major, major central character, major at least for a season role. or two. So,
0: absolutely, but they have to get it right, you know. Yeah, have to, absolutely. You have to get it right. I mean, so. remember,
1: we've said it before, Daenerys Targaryen was played by a different actress in the prologue, and actually a good actress, a very good actress, who's been in other stuff, uh, but I guess it just did not work, and so she got recast, and the show ended up being awesome, so... Uh, yes. ca- you know casting choices And Aragorn choices are was
0: recast as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, at the very last second. Oh my gosh, that guy! Second. I read, I read an article, uh, an interview with that guy like more recently, and he's still. A little bitter about, about it, it. yeah, Which yeah. Well, can't you blame would him, be. Blame if him. it
0: was a huge success, I mean, it would be devastating right. as an actor. Well, and apparently, so devastating. the
1: reason that they recast him was because he's just he was just too young. He was a very young actor at the time, kind of a young star, up and comer. And they just decided, uh, Aragorn needs to be a little bit more mature he needs to
0: be a man. And so he's, he's like, you
1: know, I was there because he, he was there for months, training, yeah, you know, filming oh, scenes, I and mean. and he's like, you know. It wasn't because of my bad acting. It was just because you cast the wrong person, and uh, he was annoyed about that, probably understandably.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we hope you know. I'm I'm waiting for the report of who that character is going to be because he's undoubtedly going to be a main character. Yeah. Did we get?
1: Um, I mean, what we had some plenty of reports about new casting after he was like, oh, do we hear anything about who is replacing him?
0: No, I haven't heard anything, but I will. I will keep my ear to the ground. Um, but I think jumping to a bit of news that I think we really should talk about. Nudity. Is that nudity. Nudity <laughs> is apparently sparse and not sexualized. So Aww. everyone was really, oh, everyone was really <laughs> worried about this earlier that, you know, there was going to be a lot of sexual content and this is so contrary to what Tolkien would have wanted, but apparently this is not the case. Um, It's Mm our artistic choice and it represents some of the dark material Um, from the article from the torn article. It says the material suggestive of concentration camp type visuals of victims, a harrowing portrayal of the corruption of elves by dark powers to ultimately become orcs. So, Tasteful nudity will be present, but not it won't be sexual. So So let's let's talk about the the
1: nudity issue first before the the orc issue, which is also a big bomb that they dropped. But I think I think we called this in one of our early, 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 early episodes where we were talking about nudity and how people were freaking out. And I I think I speculated as like, you know, just because there's nudity doesn't mean it will be sexualized nudity. There is nudity in Tolkien's own writings. I mean, there's a scene where That's the hobbits, true. when they're saved by Tom Bombadil, and he, uh, at, uh, after the Barrow Downs, um, you know, he tells them to strip off their clothes and, and they, they run naked and frolic on the grass. There's a funny scene where they do that. I mean, there <laughs> yes. is new nud- and there's tons of nudity in the Silmarillion. I mean, the, the elves, you know, oh, yeah. when they're awoken uh, in the early days. you know, Yeah, they're naked. They, they didn't wake up with uh, Levi's on, you know. Adam so. and
0: Eve style. Right. Origin story.
1: So I figured, you know what, um, there could be non-sexualized nudity and apparently that's, that's definitely the case. But what do you think of this leak that they may be depicting the corruption of the elves to become orcs? I did not think Um, we were going to see that.
0: No, I definitely, I hadn't even thought of that. And it's also not, I mean, that could be really gnarly because mm-hmm. there are several different theories as to what orcs are and where they come from, which I don't really like to spend that much time talking about orcs to be honest because I feel like yeah, I just it's not that interesting to me but
1: the real victims of the legendarium okay you cannot overlook the orcs. the real victims <laughs> of
0: the legendarium oh my um, I think it's I think it's pretty well understood that they were tortured until they became, corrupted Mm -hmm. and i i'm just that's gonna be tough to watch on on screen
1: yeah i'm you know it's interesting first of all it it further supports the idea that we're going to be seeing in some way first age material because the corruption of the elves and orcs now little sidebar like you mentioned there are different there are conflicting theories about where the orcs came from and conflicting as in from Tolkien himself. He was constantly reworking the origin story for the orcs. He never really settled on it. Um, you know, the, the, the version that, that has persisted um, and that comes from the Silmarillion is that they are elves that were tortured by Morgoth and um, you know, were thus changed forever. Uh, but then in later versions, Tolkien explored, well, maybe they're men. Um, so he tortured men. So he, he fooled around with different versions, but the elves to orcs version is the one that is most well known. But that is first age material. That's, you know, Morgoth did that. He yeah. captured the first elves that awoke and, and tortured some of them and turned them into orcs. So that's, well, we that's see going Morgoth back as far as you can case.
0: go. Yeah. And maybe we see Morgoth. Maybe this is part of the precursor, like we just talked about. Maybe this is what we see in J.A. Bayona's episodes. Is actually like the corruption of the elves because that's a very early, that happens so early and would have no bearing on the rest of it. So maybe that's setting up the story. You know, that could be part of what we see.
1: I really hope that it is nothing more than a brief glimpse, a brief flash. Um, I don't want them Mm -hmm. to get too deep into it because... It, it would be tempting to go back and really film all the cool scenes from the Silmarillion. Obviously, I would love to see a full, fully fleshed out adaptation of stories from the Silmarillion, but I think, you know, I would rather see a really, really, really good story and a focused story. And I don't want them to chase every shiny object and oh, let's show a scene from this part of the first age and this part of the year of the trees, because then it's just gonna be too scattered and the treatment of silmarillion material is going to be too shallow the treatment of the primary second age plot is going to be too shallow uh, so i don't i don't want that you know and for a second reason i want the first age and year the trees backstory to be backstory that's only ever referenced by the characters to give us a sense of the depth of the universe and that mm-hmm. depth sort of falls away if you actually depict it you know if you actually see the scenes it takes something away from right. the mythological quality of it. Whereas if you just, you know, if you hear, like, you know, you hear Aragorn singing the Lay of Lathian, uh in Lord of the Rings, yeah. you don't see a shot of Baron and Luthien, you know, and that makes it right. more effective. It adds more depth when it's just, um, you're experiencing the mythology of it. So I really hope that they retain the mythological quality of the First Age material by not showing it too explicitly. That's my, that's my approach to it.
0: No, I, d- I completely agree um, in that I hope it's sort of just briefly referenced because if you're going to do the Silmarillion, you do the Silmarillion, you know, and that's a, that's a whole other project. Like, if they're going to take bits and pieces, I think that's great, but... Concentrating on the second age is what we know they're out to do. Right. Yep. Um, and speaking of which, I thought this was really interesting. The final fact that we're going to mention from this article is that Sauron slash Anatar main villain is not going to be revealed in season one.
1: I don't know that so, I believe that. I don't know if I believe them. I
0: mean, can that be true? Can it be true?
1: I so that this was the piece of news that made me the most excited because this meant slow burn, right? Slow burn. Um, you know which we've wanted and and we know that Tom Budge was Celebrimbor. Brimbor they replaced him so we know Celebrimbor Brimbor is in the first season and so when i heard that okay Celebrimbor Brimbor is the first season well then we must be getting Sauron and the rings of power those stories in the first season but no we're getting Celebrimbor, Brimbor but not Sauron so we're going to be spending some time with our characters before the primary antagonist is introduced. And I love that. I am so happy about that.
0: I love it. I I think we're going to get, again, I mean, we've been saying this and I'll say it again. I think we are going to get Numenor in all its glory for a good long while before the downfall, which is so exciting. Um, And that leads us nicely into you know, the second article that we're discussing. Well, wait, wait.
1: We skipped over one little juicy piece of news is that elves <laughs> will have short hairstyles.
0: How could you skip yes. the hairstyles?
1: This is literally the most the important hairstyles. thing.
0: The hairstyles, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this comes into play with the photo that was leaked. Uh-huh, right. Um, which a lot of people think is an elf with short hair.
1: Right, right. But we're not sure. But obviously it is contradictory to Peter Jackson's conception of elves, which is that all of them have... Uh, perfect Vidal Sassoon long hair down to their ankles <laughs> for some reason um,
0: Well Tolkien loved like the the female elves to have long flowing locks We know that I mean Galadriel had you know long right. beautiful hair that people would get lost in right. so it's, it's not <laughs> inaccurate but um, but I like that they're they're taking it in a new aesthetic direction that's right. cool.
1: And I, you know, I'm sure it doesn't mean that all elves will have short hair. It would just be silly to have, to try and like impose some universal trait like that on a, an entire race. Like obviously not all human beings have short or long hair. Um, you know, we have varying lengths of hairstyle. So hopefully they just mean in addition to some long haired elves, you know, because clearly there's some elves where Tolkien specifically said they have long hair. So hopefully we keep that. But in addition to them, there are going to be some, uh, you know, punk rocker elves with some shorter hair, and I can be down for that.
0: Heck yeah, I'm looking forward to these beautiful elves rocking some pixie cuts. And that <laughs> that being said, and it will distinguish them from the race of men who live on Numenor, right. who we will definitely see. And speaking right. of men on Numenor, um, the One Ring dot net also has an article um, about the various things that we're going to see in Numenor we got a lot of news that Numenor is a central location in the Lord of the Rings series and that there are various different guilds that will be depicted. So the right. guilds, guilds of, uh, Venturers perhaps. Right. I mean,
1: we spent a lot of time talking about the guild of Venturers in the Eldarian and Arendis, uh, story. So this sounds totally right to me, uh, that there would be different guilds. And, um, yeah. this article is, Quoting a tweet from Fellowship of the Fans, so you know, give credit where credits due. That Fellowship is still um, leaking juicy material here, and he tweeted that that there would be like a blacksmiths guild, fisherman's guild, bread bakers guild, builders guild, and so on. And that is weaponsmiths. consistent. Yeah, right. And th- that's straight from Tolkien's text that um, the there was a guild of weaponsmiths that would make swords and axe blades, spearheads and knives and things like that, which they learned from the Noldor. So that's consistent with the primary text. So good on that. And, uh, you know, that'll just be an opportunity for visual, like costume distinctions and things like that. So
0: yeah, super interesting. Um, Well, I think it's time to move on. We haven't actually said, did we say the release date? I don't think we actually said it.
1: No, we were, we, we were making people wait for the release date, just like Amazon made people wait for the release date. Okay.
0: <laughs> exactly. That was our plan the whole time. So the official, the official release date is Brrr, Friday, September 2nd, 2022, 2022. <laughs>
1: which is interestingly the anniversary of Tolkien's death. He died on September 2nd, 1973. So almost 50 years, uh, so it's, it'll be the 49th anniversary of his death.
0: Yeah, you have to absolutely assume that was purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so we got yeah, we got so much with that that image. They dropped an image with uh what appears to be what I'm speculating is an elf walking away in a beautiful land. We think it I think it is probably Valinor and it depicts these beautiful trees in the background the trees of valinor if you look closely i had to zoom in on the image but it's absolutely gorgeous there's a there's a grand city with waterfalls it could be it could be uh we're not sure which city actually what do you think mm-hmm. could be Tyrion. could what do you think it is
1: yeah well so i think that's the the first thing so everything about this picture before we get in, into the details everything about this picture is designed to send people into a tizzy right um, oh, yeah. it's a beautiful shot and
0: beautiful in
1: the background, you see the bright, beautiful shining sun, but then you zoom in and if you look a little more closely, you realize that's not the sun. Those are the two trees of Valinor, which the average person might not realize, but a Tolkien fan who read the Silmarillion, uh, is going to lose their minds because the, the two trees
0: did light not the exist.
1: World. They light the world. They did not exist in the second age. They didn't even exist in the first age. They are pre-first age. Actually, it was their destruction and uh, Varda's, uh, was it, who was it, Varda who took their light and and formed the moon and the sun. Yes.
0: Um,
1: it, was, it was only when the sun and moon were, were put into the sky. That's when the first age starts, right? So the two trees is actually way, 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 way before anything that we're actually going to see. So this is the image that Amazon chooses to release, something that's clearly pre-second age, um in Valinor, and this is definitely somewhere in Valinor, uh, what does this mean? Does this mean that we're going to be getting uh, some Silmarillion material? And it's just designed to make people freak out. And it certainly yeah. did that job because um, tons of speculation has been going on since the second it hit the website.
0: Yes. And this is the question we're asking is, is this a, a, the primary plot? Is this a flashback? is this part of the prologue for mm-hmm. those for those early episodes? Right. I I would say my best guess is that it is part of the prologue of the early episodes. Right. And they're not getting too far into it but they are setting up the rest of the story. Yeah. That's what I think.
1: Yeah. And it's it's really hard to know because they could use this in a variety of ways. Um it, I think most people are are defaulting towards, well, there's going to be an opening prologue to tell the first age and years of the trees backstory. So we kind of know who Morgoth is and that there was like the War of Wrath. You know, we'll mm-hmm. get the whole like War of the Jewels um, backstory to set up the destruction of Morgoth and the creation of Numenor. I don't mm-hmm. think you need to do that, honestly. I, I don't I don't think that is at all necessary to understanding the characters. You can just have you can just land us right in Numenor um, and then hint at that backstory. I think that would be effective and probably more effective, but I understand the desire to do a little bit of prologue. And so I think it makes sense to assume that that's what this is. It could also be, you know, if we ever meet Galadriel, which we know we will, if we ever meet Celebrimbor, which we know we will, that they could be reflecting on the beauty of the days of the trees. And, um, we, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked about Galadriel being sad about the, you know, the fading of middle earth later on in her life in the second age and wanting to preserve um, their kingdom's, And maybe, and we know in the third age in the Lord of the Rings, she she wants to go back and and see Valinor again because she misses it. And so this could be kind of part of her wistfully remembering Valinor in in the ages of the years of the trees. So it could be a a flashback image as well.
0: It could be. And people have speculated that this is Galadriel in the picture, just with a shorter haircut or with her hair up or something like that. Right.
1: Well, let me throw this out there. Do you think that this is just BS. This is just misdirection because we know that they have fake production teams. They're willing to spend lots of money on fake production. They're willing to allow fake information to be leaked out to misdirect people. I would not put it past them to release an image that would suggest they're going to be depicting first age or years of the trees material, but when they don't actually mean to. And here's my... Reason for thinking this could be the case: This image is not a picture. Okay, this is not like a, a photo. It's not from the set. It's a painting. It's a very, very high-resolution, you know, uh, digitally rendered painting. But it, 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 I don't think this is a shot that we would necessarily see in the show. I mean, maybe, but I think this could be a this could be concept art um, that guides the production and the shooting. Um, I don't know if this is from the set itself, but this is concept art, and so.
0: Even uh, if it's if it's concept art, I think that's still in line with my idea that it's that it's um, not the main plot. You know, I really think plot, that yeah. I don't. I think it's definitely not the main plot, and I think they deliberately release something not from the main plot. But it is very. I think they released something that looks very Tolkien. <clears throat> oh it has my gosh! An elf that has these beautiful, yes. grand structures and waterfalls and mm-hmm. nature and. Um, it's very grandiose and it's very colorful and light filled, yeah. and I think this was a this was a smart choice because it did get everybody buzzing and talking right. and and excited about it. And, well, and it's um, kind of
1: epic. Looked, I mean, it you look at it, epic. It, and it's, it looks, it's yeah, the architecture is very epic. It looks oh, a yeah. lot like
0: Rivendell. It looks obviously it's an mm-hmm. elvish, right? It's an elvish city, and yep. it uh, it looks like an elvish city. The architecture is very much. Um, very much in line with what's already been depicted of of, uh, of Elvish cities. So Well, and it's very, very,
1: like very different from Game of Thrones. You know, a lot of people worry that it's going to oh, be trying so to different. recreate the Game of Thrones aesthetic. Not this at all. Game of Thrones is gritty. It's muddy. You're down in the muck. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, right. you know, zooming out and you're seeing the beauty and grandiose scale of the world. And it is. it feels very Tolkien to me.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that the beautiful convalescence of the water and land and ocean uh, vista is also, you know, very Tolkien. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. So let's get into what city we think this is. So obviously, as we mentioned, there's a figure on a hill overlooking. We see the figure from the back overlooking this beautiful city that is very reminiscent of uh, architecture from Rivendell and Gondor that we saw in Peter Jackson's adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Um, And I think it's very clear that this is Tyrion on Tuna. Tyrion is uh, a city that the Valar, they raised, uh, Tuna is a green mound that the Valar raised up and the elves built a city there called Tyrion. And it's at the, there's sort of like a natural haven there And so that, that's consistent with what we're seeing, that there's, in the image, there is sort of a, it looks like a large river, but really it looks like an inlet from the sea that flows past the city, and then the trees are in the background. Um, that's very consistent with the uh, geographic description that we get of Tyrion on Tuna in Silmarillion. So um, let me read a passage here from, from the Silmarillion, the chapter titled, Of Eldamar and the Princes of the Elderly. Quote, to these, the Valar had given a land and a dwelling place. Even among the radiant flowers of the tree-lit gardens of Valinor, they longed still at times to see the stars, and therefore a gap was made in the great walls of the Polori, uh, the Pelori being uh, a range of mountains. And there in a deep valley that ran down to the sea, the Eldar raised a high green hill, Tuna it was called. From the west, the light of the trees fell upon it, and its shadow lay ever eastward. And to the east, it looked towards the Bay of Elbenholm, and the lonely isle, and the shadowy seas. Then, through a the passive light, the radiance of the blessed realm streamed forth, kindling the dark waves to silver and gold, and it touched the lonely isle, and its western shore grew green and fair. There bloomed the first flowers that ever were east of the mountains of Amman. Upon the crown of Tuna, the city of the elves was built, the white walls and terraces of Tyrion, and the highest of the towers of that city was the Tower of Ingwe, Mindun Eldadieva, don't come at me people uh, whose silver lap shone far out into the midst of the sea. Few are the ships of mortal men that have seen its slender beam. So a beautiful description beautiful. of a beautiful city that I think is rendered very well in this painting and it, it's, they nailed it yeah.
0: It's gorgeous.
1: yeah. So I think it's clear that the, you know we have two mountain ranges on the side I mean two they look like mountains to me um, and I think those are the that's the Polori and the city is set in a gap between the great walls of the Polori. And in a deep valley, you know we see this city is sort of set on a green hill. You can see literally see that the hill is green you know underneath yep. the, the walls you can see it's green. Um, and uh, you can see the light of the trees behind it from the west and the the light streaking through this uh, the passive light, the callous area. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I th- I think it matches it you know perfectly. so I think any
0: Oh, I think there's no doubt. yeah, there's no doubt this is Tyrion. Yep, and what a cool, cool choice because the the super nerds are gonna know this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that they're already throwing us a bone, though. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, this image does giving say a us lot. A,
0: any old, it says a lot.
1: Right. Uh, so one thing that I noticed that I think is interesting and really worth mentioning is that, and you already mentioned this, that the architecture is very reminiscent of the Rivendell and Gondor that we see. From Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings, which indicates that the Amazon show seems to be adopting and making a, a deliberate choice to adopt some of the um, architectural designs from that trilogy,
0: and they were flawless, so I have mm-hmm. no problem with that.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna, I guess, get some continuity in
0: mm-hmm.
1: the design of the show from the movies, which I could, you know, I was, I think, I mentioned I wanted to see something different. And I think there's still plenty of space. We'll still see a lot that's different. Oh, yeah. Um, But there are going to be enough similarities that it will feel very tied in if this image is any indication.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And, and, you know, the next point is that there are also boats, swan-like boats. Right, right. That look like Galadriel's swan-like boats in Lothlorien from... Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson's *Lord of the Rings*. So, yeah, continuity, as you said, and I think that works. I think people will be excited about that. Yeah, that we are returning to this world in a way. And there'll be plenty of new things.
1: Now I think that, you know, we talked about the efficacy of a prologue, and I think if you're going to do a prologue, I, the more I've thought about it, the more I like the idea of starting any prologue here in Tyrion and Tuna because a lot of significant events in the first age happened here. A lot of dramatic moments, not necessarily all the, the battles and things like that usually happened elsewhere, but the, the dramatic moments between characters, the turning points, a lot of those happened here. So, uh, you know, in this city, the Vanyar and Noldor, those two houses of the, of the elves they lived together in harmony, but it was also the site of Feanor's infamous oath regarding the Silmarils and that sort of drove the entire First Age plot, you know, the War of the Noldor against Morgoth to recapture the Silmarils from Morgoth. Um,
0: That's right. It's so it's such a significant place. Yeah, it's really, where it all began.
1: Right. So this this oath happened in sort of the courtyard of Tirion. Um, later on, after uh, Morgoth was defeated, well, not after Morgoth was defeated, when Morgoth and the Noldor were fully at war and things were looking dire, Erendil the mariner came to Valinor to seek the aid of the Valar and the other elves that remained there, you know, seeking a pardon, please intervene, please save us from Morgoth. And so when Arendil arrived, he arrived in Tyrion. That's where that's where he first arrived. And so and the entire city was empty. Um, all the elves were in the city of Valimar because they were having a feast. Um, and, quote, fearing some evil had befallen the Blessed Realm, he turned away until yon the Herald of Manway, called to him and invited him to Valimar. So um, a part of me, for a second, was thinking maybe this is Erendil. You know, this is a shot of him coming over the hill and arriving in an empty Tyrion, um, but coming to seek the aid of the Valar.
0: Oh, and I mean, seeing Erendil would be, because we know Erendil is so prevalent in all these mysterious yes. ways throughout the mm-hmm. entire legendarium. That would just be so cool. Right.
1: Now, we know that it can't be Arendil because. Is it Arendil or Rendil? I don't know. It's I'm going to say Arendil. Um, so, Arendil, we know that he came to Valinor after the trees had already been destroyed, obviously. Um, you know, he, he came to Valinor just before the end of the first age, and that the trees were destroyed just prior to the start of the first age. So, we, we know that the timelines don't work, work out. But. You know to go on to the go on with the significance of this location. Tyrion is also where Arpharazone, the king of Numenor, who at the end of the Second Age tried to assail the Valar and conquer Valinor. When he sailed to Valinor at the end of the Second Age, they landed on the shores of Eldamar and camped around Tuna, which the fleeing Elves had emptied. So this could be a good opportunity. For symmetry, if they start and end the series with shots of characters overlooking Tyrion on Tuna, because that would be the end of the series with Arfar's own camping around Tuna and, you know, walking up on this hill overlooking the city. And this could be.
0: And about to conquer.
1: Yes. Yeah. So there would be symmetry of images there if they were to do it that way. And I kind of like that idea.
0: Ooh, that would be smart and also tragic, you know, to start to see the whole arc. Really, really there's cool. there's going to be
1: no shortage of tra- tragedy in this show uh, with the Numenor getting engulfed no. by the ocean. Uh, apparently, we're going to witness orcs being tortured in concentration camp style settings. So
0: it's definitely not going to be suitable for children, which like I feel
1: not children that you want to grow that? up to be well-adjusted adults. We'll put it that way.
0: Right. I feel a little. Yeah, yeah it's just not a kids. It's not going to be a, a series for kids, maybe young adults.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That's it's more of a book. Certainly... But, you know, the Silmarillion isn't for kids anyway. I mean.
0: No, 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 no. It wasn't written for right. children either. Definitely not. Yeah, so.
1: Big question. Who do you think this is?
0: As I said before, uh, it could be anybody we just mentioned. I, I'm i thinking it could possibly be a young Galadriel. That's my best guess. We know we're going to see her. She's prominent. Um she could have short hair that would make perfect sense to me if it's early in the days of valinor especially um Mm -hmm. i yeah i'm not sure i i i'm gonna go with galadriel but because that's who as a first look that's who the audience is going to be most excited about that's who most people are familiar with if it's feanor or another guy people aren't really excited about that because they may not know who that is unless you're right. already a super fan or in this world in some capacity. You, there's not name recognition with these other characters, so there's just so much more explaining to do.
1: No, I totally agree with you. I So I think that there are a, a variety of theories that can fit, and we'll talk about some of those. But my default is to assume that this is Galadriel, just because, as you said, she is the most recognizable and well-known elf from the Peter Jackson from the Lord of the Rings and those movies, mm-hmm. um, that is also going to be a central character in this series. So it would make sense to focus on that main character as a way of getting us into the series. Although, you know, again, we don't know if this is going to be an opening shot. We're kind of acting like it is, but either way, this is a beautiful image, and it would make sense that it would feature your primary central character, which I think is is collateral. That being said, there are a lot of people online who noticed and made a point of mentioning that the frame of this particular uh, character is not, is kind of like broad shouldered there's, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's in a white flowing sort of sheer uh, that's not, a, not a robe, but like a Cape type thing, uh, but with a low kind of lowish back. So it's kind of what you would think is more um, uh, feminine outerwear um, that the frame of the character is a little more masculine um i think it's a mistake to make any assumptions either way about Mm -hmm. this because i i think that the elves in tolkien's legendarium are decidedly androgynous um you know the the men are not the male elves are not you know sylvester stallone types you know they're not Arnold schwarzenegger types they're they're Mm -hmm. live they're nimble they have a feminine quality to them um Mm -hmm. so i i think it This could be either a male or a female elf.
0: Definitely. Um, Could be either one.
1: Yeah. And we know that a description of Galadriel was that she was kind of uh, like an Amazon. Um, Yeah. She was very, very athletic.
0: She she probably was broad soldiered. Her mother called her like man. Man maiden. Man (laughs) maiden.
1: Thanks, Mom.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Could definitely still be Galadriel. I'm not convinced um yeah so the, there's a lot of theories out there and there's a lot of theories about the scene that this depicts so mm-hmm. do you want to talk about the well, theories I, out there
1: I, to name a couple other names of people that it could be i think Kella brimbor is another candidate who mm. he's also oh. a main character uh in the show um he was around in the year of the trees years of the trees True. so it could absolutely be him and like we said it could be a male character so you know there's no reason to um, exclude him from this potential list. And one of the reasons that people thought it would be a male elf or male character is because if you zoom in, you can see sort of the sh- the sun shining through um, the cape and you see a little bit of a silhouette. And in that silhouette, there's very clearly an indication that there is a sword. You can see the outline of a little scabbard going at an angle. So it very clearly looks like this person is carrying a sword. Hmm. Now this is I don't know what to make of this because it, at this time in the Legendarium- They wouldn't have needed it. They wouldn't have they needed would it. Have they didn't it. carry swords. No. Um, but that one detail leads me to th- think that this is Feanor. Hmm. Now, let me give you this theory. This is a good one. Okay. I'm very proud of it. Lay it on me. <laughs> because people didn't carry swords. Um, no. They-, they Started to make weapons, maybe decoratively, but there wasn't war at this time. There wasn't battle. You know, the different kindreds of the elves weren't at war with each other. Everyone was at peace. Um, But at this time, Melkor was was still roaming free in the years of the trees. I mean, there were sometimes he was in captivity, sometimes he was roaming free. There was a time during the year of the trees when he was roaming free, and he was basically whispering in Feanor's ear and. Spinning rumors, spinning lies, he's he's getting Fanor's blood in a boil, and so he's creating dissension and dissent between the uh, sons of Finwë, Fanor, and his brothers. So there's a famous scene just before the Darkening of Valinor where Fanor, for the first time in basically the history of this city, he draws a sword on his own brother and threatens mm. him. So let me, let me read this passage from chapter seven of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. Then there was great unrest in Tyrion, and Finwë was troubled, and he summoned all his lords to council. But Fingolfin, that's one of Finwë's sons, hastened to his halls and stood before him, saying, King and father, wilt thou not restrain the pride of our brother, Cerefinwë, who is called the spirit of fire, all too truly? By what right does he speak for all our people, as if he were king? Thou it was who long ago spoke before the Quendi, bidding them accept the summons of the Valar to Aman. Thou it was that led the Noldor upon the long road through the perils of Middle-earth to the light of Eldamar. If thou dost not now repent of it, two sons at least thou hast to honor thy words. But even as Fingolfin spoke, Fëanor strode into the chamber, and he was fully armed, his high helm upon his head, and at his side a mighty sword. "'So it is, even as I guessed,' he said. "'My half-brother would be before me with my father in this, as in all other matters.' Then turning upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, Get thee gone, and take thy due place. Fingolfin bowed before Finway, and without word or glance to Fëanor, he went from the chamber. But Fëanor followed him, and at the door of the king's house he stayed him, and the point of his bright sword he set against Fingolfin's breast. See, half brother, he said, this is sharper than thy tongue. Try but once more to usurp my place in the love of my father, and maybe it will rid the Noldor of one who seeks to be the master of thralls. These words were heard by many, for the house of Finway was in the great square beneath the Mindon. But again Fingolfin made no answer, and passing through the throng in silence, he went to seek Finarfin, his brother.
0: Wow. I mean that would be so such a smart choice because it's so much history right there in that one story. Right. And it's so Cain and Abel yeah. and drawn, you know, right from Tolkien's back pocket. Right.
1: Well, in that scene, that particular scene is so pivotal because at it, that moment is really when Morgoth's efforts sort of come home to roost. He has sown dissension between the brothers. Um, right. And uh, shortly after that is when Morgoth, Melkor at the time, later named Morgoth, and Ungoliant come together to destroy the trees. Um, and so the the descent and the fighting, be- the infighting between Feanor and his brother is kind of like an early precursor to all that. It's it, it's the first domino that falls.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, not
1: that Melkor wouldn't have done it I, a- anyway, but it's it's a part of this really sad tale. So I think we could be we could be seeing this image of Feanor walking to Tyrion with his sword. Now, granted, we don't. He's not wearing a helm. He's not wearing. He's not in full armor. Maybe he picks that up, you know, at his apartment on the way. I don't know. But he <laughs> could be walking I, in with his sword.
0: I would love if this was the first scene because it would start with a bang. It would put us right in smack dab in the middle of the of the fall. Right. You know, of the first sort of uh corruption um between of the elves. And that would be so smart to have a conflict right away and set up um, a villain who is in there sowing corruption and, right. and malcontent, as you said. Um, I Yeah, I had not thought of this, but that is really exciting to me if we get to see that.
1: Yeah, a similar theory was proposed by a writer with screen name Demosthenes, uh, who's writing for thewandering.net and they had sort of a round table where they theorized uh talked basically talked about all the different elements of this story and he had a theory that this image is actually it's a little bit later and it is a view of uh the whole of Amon you know that we see from this perspective just before Melkor and Ungoliant come in to destroy the two trees so from the silmarillion uh chapter 8 of the darkening of valinor uh, it says quote it is told that well and I should uh, preface this by saying that after Feanor and Fingolfin had their fight, they sort of, sort of reconcile. Uh, there's a big feast, a yearly feast and Manwe. So Feanor had been uh, exiled for 12 years. He wasn't allowed to live in, in Tyrion anymore. Um, and then there was a big feast and Manwe summoned him to the feast to try and force them, him to reconcile with his brothers. And so there's a moment where Feanor and Fingolfin are standing before Manwe to reconcile. And at that moment, even as Feanor and Fingolfin stood before Manwe, there came the mingling of the lights when both trees were shining and the silent city of Valmar was filled with the radiance of silver and gold. And in that very hour, Melkor and Angolian came hastening over the fields of Valinor as the shadow of a black cloud upon the wind fleets over the sunlit earth. And they came before the green mound is a lahar. And so if you – and that's the end of the quote. And if you look at the picture, you will notice that there mm-hmm. are some incoming black storm clouds that are about to envelop the trees.
0: Yes. And I think that this is really, really similar to the reason that they – starting with something like this or including this is really smart because it sets up an early antagonist and they want it and – it, and it truly shows – just how um, evil Melkor and Ungoliant are and right. if we're not going to get Anatar in the first season who is the villain and we need to understand that this villain is so powerful and has already sown um already caused such havoc and so we need to know that right at the right out the gate we need to know that if it's going to be a slow burn right right so that we can really latch on to that idea that there is this, this lingering threat right. that's um, ever present, even when things, you know, from the beginning. So, right.
1: And I, you know, like I said before, I hope they don't show too much. I hope they don't go all the way and show Melkor and Ungoliant coming in and poisoning the trees just because I want to leave something to the imagination. I in mean, the they might
0: though, they might, they, they, they might show that briefly. Right. And um, I'm okay with that.
1: And I don't think they need to get into who Melkor is. I think it could be just a distraction, especially to start off. But to the extent it would be helpful, it would be helpful in showing that um, Amon has been, you know, the world has been marred by Melkor's evil from the beginning. And that there's a thread of of evil and sadness that runs through everything. And ultimately that comes from Melkor. And right. that could just sort of set subtly a, a tone that underlies everything that comes after. And they don't have to hammer it home too strongly. It can be kind of something that you have to really look deeply to find. I hope that it's not super obvious, but it can add this extra layer in the background. Um, so there are smart ways they can do it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know presumably there's so many different eyes on this as we mentioned before there's the scholars there's you know the Tolkien estate there's trusted directors we still don't know much about our showrunners but we're going to hope for the best with those guys and trust that they're being really thoughtful with this so after you know after reviewing all this I'm just more excited than ever and I hope you all continue on and and listen with us as we uncover more uh, regarding this series
1: i think that's gonna we're gonna call it a wrap for this episode of watch party lord of the rings on prime but uh stick with us come back next week we are finally going to be getting into some peter jackson film material well we have one more episode to to <laughs> before we really get into <laughs> it but it's going to be a good one we're going to be talking about uh, our approach to evaluating adaptations of tolkien's works um from the book to the screen and. Um, the different elements and components that we are going to be thinking about as we watch Peter Jackson's movies. So uh, it's going to be a little bit academic, but I think you'll all enjoy it. And then we will finally be diving into the films and welcoming our first special guest for the films as well, um jordan Rennell's, the host of the music of middle earth podcast so we're super excited to welcome jordan to the podcast
0: jordan is so fantastic and we were honored to have him and so i really hope you'll listen to that episode um that'll be be debuting soon
1: yeah so a lot of good stuff coming um in the meantime If you like what we're doing, please share us with your friends, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your brother, your teacher, your janitor, everybody in your life. Share our podcast with them. (laughs) Um, We would love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And get in touch. You can always find us. You can email us. You can tweet us. We just got an Instagram up and running. So go look for Watch Party, L-O-T-R on Prime, on Instagram. And maybe someday we'll get a – you know, we
1: got an Insta. Maybe we'll get a Finsta. Right? Isn't that a thing? How old a am TikTok? I? The tickety, tickety, TikTok. The TikTok, ticket Snapchat.
0: <laughs> do people Snapchat anymore? So I, I don't know. You know what? I
1: do Snapchat. I've been Snapchatting since the app came out because it is but I only snapchat
0: Snapchat. I
1: Snapchat every day, every single day.
0: Are you serious? I'm
1: serious. But I only Snapchat with, with Amy because it's it's a really, really good app for exchanging photos and videos and stuff like that. So you know, she snaps me pictures of our But they disappear.
0: Daughter. That's why I don't like it. Like, why yeah, not just send like a cute text? Like, look, and then you have it forever. Some pictures you I want to keep forever. I never got into Snapchat. Some
1: pictures you want to keep forever, but you don't want to keep them all forever. You know, you don't need them all.
0: Well, and I don't know now. Childhood is so fleeting. Like, I want to keep as many as I can, but I, I am yeah. running out of storage on my phone. Right. So there's that. But I never got into Snapchat. It just, I missed the boat for that. I just remember it coming out and me being like, I don't really get it. Yeah. I don't. I can't engage with this the same way the kids are. You know, you end but. up
1: taking pictures that are less uh, meaningful. Like you're like, I'm not going to keep this forever. So it can be a crap picture. So you take like pictures up your nose or I don't know. I don't really do that. That didn't happen. <laughs> uh, delete that. Delete, delete, delete. But you
0: do snap every day. But no, you you know, All you right. take
1: funny pictures that are like funny for the moment, but that you wouldn't. Well,
0: maybe keep. we'll have a, a watch party Snapchat. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> Stay tuned. Go. And, Please join us next time and may the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks.
1: Do we have a Grey Havens?
0: I had one, but here's the thing. I have one because I thought we were doing the analysis lens of adaptation this week and I had a great one for that. And I still have a great one for that. So I don't have a Grey Havens for this because I prepped it mm. for the other one. So do you, I, but it's like now we have to have one because we do it every time. I know we do
1: it every single time.
0: We have to ah. do something. What can we do? I want to do a cover of WAP, but for Watch Party. What's WAP? <laughs> you know what WAP is. What's
1: WAP? No, I seriously don't. WAP? W-A-P?
0: <laughs> Just type in WAP. I'm, a, I'm nervous for you to type it in. Oh,
1: song by Cardi B.
0: You've never heard WAP?
1: Maybe I've heard it, but I wouldn't know the name. Let's see. Let's hear it here.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for you to hear this for the first time. (laughs) You watching the music video? I'm
1: watching it right now. Okay. uh, There's an ad. Okay, here we go. (laughs)
0: But at watching Party and I would adapt the rap and make it all Lord of the Rings, like everything Lord of the Rings related.
1: (sighs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely going to have to uh, replace some of the words in this song. Maybe
0: all of them. Are you watching the unedited version or the edited version? Because it is so. Oh, this is
1: definitely not the edited version. But i I'm not watching the music video actually. I'm just watching oh just my a gosh. still photo.
0: Okay. <laughs> I can't believe you never heard this song before. No.
1: Is it like I've never heard this? Is it really famous or something?
0: Yes. It's hugely famous. It was like the song of the summer last summer. Oh it was God. everywhere, I'm, everywhere, all over. And it's still super famous. I'm
1: so uncool. Is the music no, video? No, you're not. Crazy? I'm so
0: glad the music video is uh real. I, I, have, I have multiple different thoughts about the music video. I mean, it's super, super sexual. Obviously, it's there are like tigers really... in it.
1: I like tigers.
0: It's intense. It's intense. Uh, Kylie Jenner's also in it.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Yeah, I can't believe you never heard this song.
1: I mean, I'm an Eldar millennial, but I, maybe my millennial card has been revoked. Apparently, I'm just like that's a major blind spot for me. Is all things Cardi B apparently
0: do you really want to hear wap do you need to be thinking about wap no you don't the answer is no well
1: i'm pretty sure that's <laughs> what i'm gonna be thinking about now this music video is insane
0: i know it's really really yeah
1: you know what i think we i think we did the gray havens just now everything we just talked about that's gray havens
0: that's the gray havens
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> me me watching this ridiculous wap for the first wap time <laughs> I, I'm, you are
0: welcome. I'm still
1: watching it. This is you <laughs> You're know. Still I'm like looking it? around. Did you get to, to Kylie sure Jenner nobody...
0: walking down?
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully nobody's like sneaking up behind me because I feel uncomfortable. Like this is like a not safe for work video for sure.
0: No, 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 no. It's catchy. It's catchy as hell.
1: I'm gonna be. Uh... I'm gonna watch this a few more times. And... Oh. <laughs> It's kind of mesmerizing. It's like,
0: I know, I know. That's the thing. I watched it a couple times because I was like, artistically, there's definitely like a super strong aesthetic. Right. I do think it would be hilarious if we covered this, though. Like, just changed everything to Lord of the Rings. Like, would we get if we could just like
1: find a a backing track and and put our voices over it? Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do (laughs) it. I have no shame. I'm game. Like, if you are, (laughs) I can see the headlines now. Dude. Tolkien nerd morons oh criticize Cardi B and then get buried on the internet.
0: Buried. We would we would get buried too. No, not criticize her. We're not criticizing her. That's
1: true. I'm mesmerized by her right now. This video is still...
0: Of course you are. It's like her... It's like her like... Yeah.
1: No, but it's not even that. It's like, you know...
0: The visuals are interesting. Yeah. And um, it's sort of... You know what I like about it? It's fantastical.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's... It's it's porno fan fantastique.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: This is way out of my wheelhouse here. Well, I guess we found our Grey Havens.
0: <laughs> you cannot that cannot be the Grey Havens. No. No. Just just you watching WAP. <laughs> but you like being like, What's WAP? <laughs> watch WAP. <laughs> that was fun for me to watch you watch it. <laughs>